beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a question that I'll pose to you right off the bat is, why did Christ come into this world? Why did God the Father send His Son into this world? What would your answer be? I think if you talk to many who are members of a church, they would say that, you know, Jesus came to make us happy people. Jesus came to provide for us all the temporal things that we need. Now, you might chuckle at that, but did you notice what was going on here with those that were following Christ is that their bellies were fed. They followed Him not because of the signs that He did, not because of the wonders, the miracles that Jesus did, but because of the temporal benefits to provide for their food. You know, I don't have to work anymore. Jesus can provide what I need. And many have that idea of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why He came into the world. And then they seek all the temporal things. Jesus didn't come to make you happy. He came to make a people holy. Now, as a consequence of holiness, you are going to be a happy, joyful person. Jesus didn't come to fulfill all of your temporal needs. He didn't come to provide you with all of your wants, temporally speaking. He came to bless you with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And as a consequence, we do receive many temporal blessings. But first and foremost, it's the working within the soul of all the blessings in the heavenly places. Spiritual blessings. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. True faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creating faith within the heart. Union. Adoption. Being cleansed from our sin. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. These are the blessings and the benefits in the heavenly places. They all belong to us in Christ Jesus. And so, first and foremost, beloved, Jesus says, don't labor for the food that perishes. He's not saying that you don't work to provide for your temporal needs. You know, there's always somebody out there that misunderstands that. He's not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, He calls us to labor. And He says, those who don't work, neither shall they eat. But it's prioritizing your life, isn't it? It's knowing, first and foremost, uh, what is important in your life. What is most important, of chief importance in your life. Now, I can simply say this. The Apostle Paul said that bodily exercise profits a little. Godliness is profitable in all things, to the life that now is and to that which is to come. So, what should your priority be? Spending time cultivating the things of the Lord, building up the inward man, because the outward man is perishing. For all of you that exercise, nothing against exercise. Now, don't go out and say he's against exercise now. I never said that. But there's going to come a point where you can't do what you do. You may like to run, but there's going to come an age you're not going to run anymore. You'll be doing is running to the bathroom. You won't be running and exercising like you did. 
Why they say that testosterone in a male starts to deplete in his late 20s. Well, what significance is that? Building muscles. It's not there. The ability is weakened. So what happens? That's why you see the elderly with the atrophy. And the body starts to decline. And they are not what they used to be. That's true. But how are you spiritually? Are you more concerned with feeding your flesh, your body, and I mean your human body? Not the wicked desires, your human body. Are you more concerned about feeding the flesh or feeding your soul? If you had the choice between sitting down and reading the scriptures and feeding and nourishing your soul or gorging yourself on some, some pies or something, what would you do? I dare say most would be over there in the pie line and not nourishing the soul. And that's a real hindrance in the life of the church. And I think that's the main cause that the church has today of being deluded with this strength that it thinks it has. And, and, and pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, thinking that it's the power and the sufficiency is in me and I need nothing else. You know, that's what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea. You think you're strong, but you're weak. You think you're covered in clothes, but you're naked. You think you're seeing, but you're blind. And you don't even recognize it. And so, we need to be a people that understands from the Word all things. Why did Jesus come into the world? He came to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus come into this world? Why was He sent? He came to save His people from their sins. Why did Jesus come into this world? He came to save the chief of sinners. Why did Jesus come? He came to do the Father's will. Why did Jesus come? To do the will of God. The meat and drink of the soul of Christ was His Father's will. What was the Father's will? That He would redeem a multitude from all the tribes and tongues and nations of the world, that Christ would redeem them. He would sovereignly redeem them. That He would be the second Adam. That He would fulfill all that Adam failed in the garden to do. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, would not fail. He would accomplish all the good pleasure of His heavenly Father. He would do His will. He would redeem a multitude. It's not a potential atonement. It is an actual atonement. He actually atoned for a multitude that were given to Him. And to them and no others. Not a generic sense. Christ didn't come to die for everybody in the world's sin and that whosoever will let Him come and then you can reap the benefits. He came specifically for His sheep. That's what Jesus says in our text this morning. This is offensive to people. I'm offended when I hear the garbage on the radio today. I'm offended when I hear somebody say, well, Jesus died for everybody. I'm offended by that. That was not the design of the atoning work of Christ. If that was the design, then He is a failure. Because there are people in hell right now. Oh, well, then i got to tweak it a little bit. Well, he died for everybody, but not everybody will believe. If you do, you'll get the benefits. That offends me. 
Because I have no ability to believe the good news of the gospel, to trust Christ apart from the sovereign work of the Spirit in my soul, raising me up spiritually, creating faith within, that I might believe on Christ my Savior. That is not my doing. That is not your doing. We couldn't collectively come together and decide to do that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And He does it sovereignly. And I'm offended when people say, He's standing at your door and knocking. If you'll just let Him in. That offends me. My God is sovereign. He doesn't ask your permission. He regenerates the soul, as I said this morning in Sunday school. He didn't ask Mary if she would like to be the mother of her Lord. He was told her, You are going to be the mother of our Lord. You, Mary. Chosen you to be the mother. Salvation is the same way. God has chosen. He's chosen from all eternity. It's always been in His mind who He would redeem. And a covenant promise given to Abraham as the sand by the seashore, as the stars are in the heaven, so shall your descendants be. Christ came to redeem them and them only. So the scripture says that He came to save His church, His people, His sheep, those that were given to Him. Now, Jesus, as it were, here in this John 6, dealing with the bread from heaven, knowing that multitudes, scores, followed after Him just because they wanted the temporal benefits. You know, hey, it's, it's like a food truck right there all the time. Just follow it around. You'll get fed. You know, it's like feeding the people feeding the birds. Just go where they, it's, it's like they're cats, you know? Cats, and anybody feeds the cat, boy, they'll show up the next day. And that's how people are. They want the temporal benefits. Gimme, gimme. That's all I want. I don't want Jesus. I want all the goodies. I want the stuff, but I don't want the Creator. That's fallen unregenerate man. He wants provision, but he does not want God. As a matter of fact, we read it in Psalm 10, didn't we? He doesn't want God in any of his thinking. But hey, give me the bread. Fill my belly. Why is that? Because the natural man doesn't go any further than the temporal things. He looks at the bread that may be on the table, the wine, and he says, hmm, I wonder how that tastes. I hope the bread tastes good. I hope it's not stale. I hope they didn't have it out there too long. Because I like it when it's soft. It's, it's a little bit moist. That's how I like it. That's as far as he goes. He doesn't go beyond that as signs and symbols of the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. He looks at the stars and the heavens. And that's all the further that he goes. He's wondered about the galaxies. He's wondered about the orbit. He's wondered about the certain stratospheres of the stars that are there. But he doesn't go beyond that and say, what a wonder that God created all these things and he knows them all by name. What an awesome God we serve. He wants the temporal. He runs after it. Beloved, Christ came into this world to lay down His life for His sheep. Christ came to be an atonement. Christ came to do what we could never do. Christ came to save us. He came to save His people from their sins. 
So here, he's debating and disputing here with the Pharisees again. John chapter 6 about the bread. It's the Father who gives the true bread which came down from heaven and gives his life for the world. That doesn't mean every single individual, head for head and soul for soul. Collectively speaking, from all the different tribes, tongues, and nations of the world, Christ gave himself for them. And he says to them, But I said to you that you you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Jesus makes a distinction here in our text. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me will by no means, the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Those that come to Jesus, and what it means to come to Jesus is to believe on Him. You see that in the text itself. Coming doesn't simply mean walking up to Him. Coming doesn't mean getting in a line waiting for temporal benefits. Coming to Jesus is believing, trusting that He is who He declares Himself to be in His Word. That He is the Messiah. That He is the scapegoat. That He is the mercy seat. That He is the atoning sacrifice. That He is the sin bearer. That He is the reconciler. That He is the one who adopts, that brings into the family of God. That Christ accomplishes all of God's good will and pleasure. So Jesus said, all that the Father gives. Notice the giving. We're, Christ was given to us as the church. Christ gives gifts to the church. The Greek term didomai means to impart or to give. We were given as the people of God, the, re, the elect, to Jesus Christ to redeem. We were given. There is a certain amount of people from the beginning of this world to the end thereof. I have no idea how many people have lived since Adam. But of all that multitude that has lived, there, is a, uh, there, is, there are few, Jesus said, that are saved, but there is a great multitude that were given to Him to be redeemed. They were a love gift from the Father. I think of the implication of that as a believer. Do you think Christ would ever ridicule a gift given by His Father? Do you think He'd ever spurn a gift given by His Father? You know, we get gifts. Sometimes we give those gifts that end up in the goodwill. I mean, you know they're destined for the goodwill the moment you saw it, didn't you? You couldn't wait until the Christmas gathering was over because you knew where that sweater was going. Christ doesn't discard the gifts that were given to Him by His Father. He came for them. And one of the distinctions, the delineations within mankind of whether or not one is a believer or an unbeliever is whether one comes to Jesus. Not coming to church. Not simply coming to the Lord's Supper. Not coming to baptism. Coming to Jesus. Because the church can't save you. The Lord's Supper cannot save you. Baptism cannot save you. Christ saves. And Christ alone. Have you come to Jesus? 
Jesus said, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Have you come to Jesus? That's not a coming, getting in line to get benefits. That's coming to Him. That's believing. That's trusting. That's embracing. That's resting upon Him. Jesus said, all of the ones that were given to me, they will come. Why didn't Judas come to Jesus? Because Judas was not given to Jesus. Jesus did not redeem Judas. The scripture says that Judas went to his own place. He was one who was possessed of the devil. They were in the upper room, the having of the bread and the wine, commemoration of the Passover meal. And the scripture says that Satan entered Judas. Satan cannot enter a believer. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit occupies a believer. Only unbelievers can be possessed by the demonic. Judas was not given to Jesus for him to redeem. And that's why he did not come to Jesus. He departed from him. Jesus said, and if you have your Bibles open there, look at John chapter 6, verse 66. Many turned and walked with him no more. They turned, they left, they departed from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? They were not given to him because all that are given unto me come to me. All that are given to Jesus Christ are those for whom He died. Those for whom He died are those in which the Holy Spirit regenerates the soul. The Holy Spirit turns on the light. The Holy Spirit regenerates, raises up from spiritual death to spiritual life. He creates faith in the object Jesus Christ. And we see Him and we believe Him and we run to Him. Come, Jesus said. All that the Father gives, come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Jesus will not throw us off. That's what it means. Ekbalo. We will not be one who is discarded. You know, I've received gifts from people. And I've learned over the years, take the gift and get rid of it later. Take it to the goodwill later. Do something. Don't pass it on so then somebody else could say, Boy, that sure looks familiar. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't discard those that were given to him. He protects them. He gives his life for them. He feeds them. He nourishes them. He provides for them. All that is necessary unto salvation. That's why the catechism says, when you have Christ... You have everything that is necessary unto your salvation. You need nothing more than Jesus. He's come to set the prisoners free. He's come to be the ransom price for His people. This is our Lord. So He doesn't cast us away. You'll never perish, beloved. If you come to Jesus, are you believing on Him? Are you believing Him for who He says He is in His Word? Not what other people say. 
It's irrelevant. It's unimportant what other people say. What is important is what Christ says in His Word. What the Father says in the Word. What the Holy Spirit reveals in the Word. What the prophets and apostles have said in the Word. That is what is important. He is God come in the flesh. He is in one person, truly God, truly man, in one person, two distinct natures forever to redeem His people from all of their sins. It is in His human nature, beloved, that He fulfills all the demands of the law of God. He is, as it is, the second Adam. He fulfills what Adam failed to fulfill. He keeps all of the stipulations of the law. Every jot and every tittle, down to the least stroke, of the Hebrew letters, Christ fulfills, and He does so on behalf of His people. He who knew no sin, He was not acquainted with sin. He became sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in Him. What does that mean, that He became sin? Don't have in your mind that Christ became sin by being a sinner. Christ was no sinner. Christ had no sin. He was the spotless lamb. What that means is by imputation. By imputation, all the sins of all those that were given to Him were imputed to Him. And when He was on the cross, the Father laid upon Him the stroke of justice. The Father laid upon Him the inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors of His wrath to redeem a multitude which no man could number. Christ became sin for us by imputation. He was the spotless lamb, but treated as if he had sinned all the sins of all of his people from the beginning of the world to the end thereof. Do you know the heap of sin that was imputed to Christ? I mean, Galatians chapter 13 That He became sin for us. He became a curse on the cross for us. He became the most grotesque being on the planet. When the sins of His people were imputed to Him. Christ came for this purpose. Have you come to Him? Simple faith. It's simple because it's simply believing Christ is your Redeemer. My standing before a holy God is Jesus. You remember the Sunday school? You remember the comment that I mentioned with regards to Calvin and election and a mirror? And who's the favorite of them all? Christ! And I am favored in Him. Who's the covenant keeper? Jesus! And I'm a covenant keeper in Him. Who is the well-beloved Son? Jesus. And I am well-beloved in Him. It's trusting that my only hope of redemption, of cleansing, of adoption, is Jesus. Have you come? You see, beloved, it's not you and Jesus, it's Jesus. The Father sees us In Christ. He sees us dressed, covered, and clothed in Christ. That's why we're acceptable. That is why we are made lovely in His sight. The unlovable becomes lovable in Christ Jesus. It's not anything that I can do. It's not anything that you can do. 
Don't trust in your church membership. Don't have a superstition about the sacraments. Many do. Many think there's some kind of a magic in the meal. I've seen people that will blow off worship Sunday after Sunday. Oh, but they make sure that they come on the Lord's Day to have the supper. Shows the state of their heart, doesn't it? They think there's some kind of magic in here. And there is no magic. That bread and that wine points me to my only Savior. Who broke His body and shed His blood. That I would not be cast out. He will never cast you out. You will never be discarded. What is discarded? Refuge is discarded. It's scraped off. It's thrown away. It's cast far from us. Never will the people of God be cast off. Come to Him, Jesus says. You will never be cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. You see, Christ has two natures. Fully God. Fully man. And in His human nature, He fulfills the demands of the law. And it is His human nature who comes, who says His meat and drink is to do the will of His heavenly Father. I've come to do the Father's will. You know the famous statement of Jesus in the garden. When as He was sweating great drops of blood, and the water and the blood, the sweat mingled down, The capillaries in his forehead burst as he's praying in the garden. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way that I could redeem this multitude, if there's any other way, let it happen. His soul was recoiling from being one who was exposed to the wrath of God. That the lights of God's countenance would be turned out. That he would be in utter darkness. That there would be a separation. That he would be forsaken by his father. And he cried for another way. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If I must drink the dregs to the bitter end to redeem all those that you have given to me, I'll drink the cup. He called it a baptism of fire that he must be baptized with. Christ came to do the will of his Father. His Father's will that all that were given to him, he would lose none. He could have no sin, no sinful thought, no sinful word, no sinful action. He must fulfill the covenant of works and he must do that in the place on behalf of his people. And that's what he does because that was the Father's will. And Jesus said, I eat the Father's will. That's what I come to do. My meat, my drink is to do his will. And so he says... It's not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me. Notice Jesus is sent. He's called an apostle in that sense. One who is sent. The writer of the Hebrews calls Him the apostle. So He's one who is sent by the Father to redeem this multitude. And He submits to the will of the Father in that sense. Jesus comes to do what the Father had commissioned Him to do. That of all that He has given to me, I should lose nothing. It's the Father's will that none of those that were given to Him would be lost. 
How do you know that you've been given to Christ? How do you know that you belong to Christ? I don't see my name anywhere in Scripture. Oh, there it is. See, Scott Henry, you're one of the elect. How do I know? How do I know that it's me that he came for? Yes, yes, a multitude which no man can number, but me. Me individually. He came for a corporate body to redeem. But I'm part of that body. I'm an aspect. I'm an individual member of that body. How do I know He came for me? Because I've come to Him. I've come to Him. What does that demonstrate to me? That He came for me. Because He came for me, I come to Him. How do I come to Him? The Spirit of God regenerates the soul, creates the faith, and I look to Jesus as the object of faith. He is my atonement. He is the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. He is my all in all. All the benefits are in Him. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the pearl of great price. Sell everything else and run to Jesus. That is a demonstration, beloved, that you've come to Jesus. That He came for you, you come to Him. That's the work of the Spirit in bringing you to Jesus. And notice the promise. He's not going to lose any. No one snatches you from His hand. No one has the power, no one has the authority to take you from Christ. You're, you're safe. You're secure. You're safe in the arms of Jesus. Isn't that comforting? Justification is such that I am no more justified on my worst day than I am on my best day. I am declared righteous in Christ and I am righteous, not a degree of righteousness. I am declared righteous in Christ. On my worst day, best day, it doesn't change. I will never be cast out I will never be discarded. I will never be told, you are not welcome here again. Christ has secured my entrance to the kingdom. What's the keys of the kingdom? Jesus. It's so simple and yet so profound. What's my entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Christ. As I said last Lord's Day. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because the man on the middle cross. Because of Him and Him only. You shouldn't let me into your heaven. You shouldn't give me entrance into your kingdom. But He has secured it. What have you done? I've done nothing. I'm loaded and packed with sin and guilt and misery. He's done it all. He's washed. He's cleansed. He's brought me near unto God. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. Christ has done that. And so I have the guarantee. I am safe. I am secure in Christ. It's not even an issue, beloved. That's not on the table anymore. Will I or will I not be saved? It's already a done deal. It's already a settled issue. If you are in Christ, you are redeemed. No matter how you feel, you are one of the redeemed and all the blessings of God are bestowed upon you. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son It's not just seeing like, okay, I see that person there. It's a present tense in the Greek. 
Which means when you are looking upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand in a discerning way that He is the Savior. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not a man among men. That's the Savior. Behold, this is my well-beloved Son. Hear ye Him. Mary said when he was regarding the, the, the wine, remember at the wedding of Canaan, whatever he says, do. That's faith, beloved. That's confidence. Lord, if it is you, tell me, command me to come out of this boat. Come. That's faith. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water for a time. That's faith. But you know what? We're fallible, aren't we? We're weak. And the storm arose and he cast his eyes away from Jesus and he began to sink. Jesus didn't let him sink. Why? Because he was safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. You are no more secure in heaven than you are right now. There are many dangers, trials. There are many things that come upon us. You are no more safe in heaven than you are right now. As the hymn says, more happy, but not more safe. You are secure, beloved. You are safe in the arms of Jesus. He has you. He upholds you. He keeps you. Present tense. You keep on seeing Him. You keep on viewing Him attentively. You're attentive to Him. Your attention is upon Him. The writer of the Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus. It's not a quick glance. It's not one of those things that you see out of the corner of your eye and you just viewed something for a moment. I really couldn't make it out. I don't know what it was. It's not that kind of a look. It means to gaze upon Him attentively. To look to Him, to discern Him as the prophet, the priest, and the king. <clears throat> Everyone who sees the Son and believes. Pestuo. Faith. Do you believe Jesus can do all that he has promised? Do you believe the Bible is God's word? Do you believe the Holy Spirit regenerates the soul? Do you believe you have no hope apart from the atoning work of Jesus? That's faith. That's supernatural. That's God given. That's the working of the Spirit through the word. And he's going to raise us up. This is the promise. And he says, I will raise him up at the last day. Raising up is to make us to stand again. We've fallen. The human race has fallen. Christ is the one who makes those for whom he was given, for whom he redeemed, to stand up again. Stand covered and clothed in Jesus Christ. Stand righteous and holy in Him. Stand as one who is forgiven, covered by the righteous works of Jesus Christ, and then lavished by the love of God. That's what Christmas is about. The advent, the birth of Christ. I came to save my people from their sins. I came to do the Father's will, and that was His will, to redeem a multitude. Have you come, beloved? Are you truly trusting? It's not a life of perfection. We have many faults. I have many faults. I fall short in many areas and in many ways, in thought, word, and deed. 
But my entrance into the kingdom of heaven, my acceptance with the Father, is not my performance. It is the performance of Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, the spotless one, no blemish. He is the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm growing in grace. I'm growing in understanding. I'm growing in practical holiness and righteousness. But I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. And neither are you. But that is not the basis upon which I enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is the perfection of Christ in Him alone. And that's what I trust. And if it's not that, I'm damned. Because I have nothing else. I have no one else. Eggs in one basket. And they are all in Christ. None in me, all in Him. I'm all in. I'm in the wheelbarrow. Are you there with me? Are you in the wheelbarrow? You're not just looking at it. I think He can do that. Yeah, I saw Him. But I'm not entrusting. Are you around the things of Jesus, but you haven't gotten into the wheelbarrow? Because that's what faith does. Faith has come and believe and rest secure in Jesus. I will take you all the way home, he says. Faith believes. Are you believing? What a time of the year, coming of Christ, to cry out to the Lord. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's not a virtue, you understand that. Help my unbelief. That's a declaration that there are things that I don't believe and I struggle. Lord, Help me. I need thee. I need thee every hour. Look to Jesus because he certainly came to redeem his people from their sins. This is the joy that we have as we think upon the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Shall we pray?